You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello, this is the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Not Brand Ech, episode two, covering a period of the, of Not Brand Ech from 1967. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Not Brand Ech co-host, Greg Russell. And last time, we had every intention of covering as many issues as possible, but two hours went by and we had only covered two issues. <laughs> so we are not going to be as presumptuous this time, and we'll probably only get through two issues uh, for this episode as well, issue number three and issue number four. What do you think about that? That sounds good. That's uh, quite a lot to cover in itself. It is. Yeah, each of these issues has three or more stories, and and they are all loaded with pop culture references. And, uh, and so what we did in the last episode, if you didn't hear that one, is we went page by page and almost panel by panel and talked about every single uh, little reference that we could. Because, you know, we're reading these 50 or 60 years, no, 50 years removed uh, from, from the time that they were published. And a lot of stuff has become very obscure. A lot of jokes go over, he- over your head. I wasn't even born when these comics came out. And so, so it's, it's been really interesting to go back and learn about this, this culture, learn about the time period and the era, and, and, and find out why these people were making fun of the things they were making fun of. Right. I was uh, six when this issue came out, so I was vaguely aware of a lot of the cultural references, but uh, this has been an education for me, too. It's very, very cool. Uh, Okay, so let's keep on going then, and we can start with the first issue. This is an issue full of origin stories. They have one for Captain America, the Hulk, and the Thor, which they, they call Charlie America, the Bulk, and the Mighty Soar. And uh, after a uh, after a title page, we get into the very first issue here, or the very first story here, which is the origin of Sor, son of Shmodin. <laughs> Love these names; they're kind of hard to say. Sor, son of Shmodin. <laughs> yeah. um, just a tongue twister. But I, I want to uh, let you kick things off if you have anything you want to say about this first page. It, page uh, this is fifty-eight. If we have the complete collection, otherwise, it's the first page of the Sor story. Right. Uh, this story is uh, written by Stan Lee, drawn by Jack Kirby with inks by uh, Frank Giacoa. So I, I believe they were uh, doing the uh, Thor stories at that time. That's, oh, yeah, they would have been. So, yeah, it is fun to see uh, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee riffing on their own styles of storytelling and art. They both get to cut loose a bit. Yeah, it's very very cool to see to see Jack Kirby's kind of weird. Uh, he goes he goes uh, quite in the opposite direction. Whereas usually his art is very um, cemented and solid, he mm-hmm. can totally do the the light and and loose artwork uh, when he's given the chance to. So that's very that's cool right. to see. And he's good at the details, all the uh, the Mad Magazine type uh, riffs like. Uh, his hair is in braids. Oh, right. Uh, on his metal helmet, he has a live chicken 
in place of the feathers. <laughs> uh, the uh, metal plates on his chest are constantly changing with different text or on the cover, they're um, buttons. And he's wearing ballet slippers. Yeah, I think one of the the things to uh, to try and take away the masculinity of Thor is to give him the braids. Not only is that sort of like a just a, a kind of an ongoing joke that people call him Goldilocks in in the comics all the time. That's right. Um, but uh, b- b- couple that with the ballet slippers, and you've got a much more effeminate uh, Thor to take right. away from the the I don't know the the iconic masculine icon that he that he was in the comics. That's right. And they, they definitely make him out to be kind of a lunkhead. Yeah. Not one of the smarter heroes. There's a, uh, a a robot kind of in this first page that's behind him. He's on roller skates. And it says right. Sapuloid, um, AC only, because he, he is um, AC powered by the, the little remote control box that Loki is holding. Actually, his name is Hokey. <laughs> I like that one. But that, I tried to look that up, and there's not, I don't know that there's a direct robot reference. There's a character called Replicus in Thor 141. That's what I found. Oh, okay, good. Yeah, so I think that's probably who this is supposed to be. It doesn't look quite exactly the same, but... No, it doesn't. And I have no idea what sapuloid means. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, well, we can move on to page number 59. First panel, um, Thor is uh, prancing around, and, and um, he says, Even my hairdresser doth not know. And <laughs> that's from an uh, advertising campaign from Clairol. Nice. Does she or doesn't she? Only her hairdresser knows for sure. Right, of course. And if you look in the back on the first page, it says that the hairstyling is by Forbush Classy Curlers. So he's (laughs) referencing Irving Forbush. Right. And here there are um, playing card icons on his chest. Yes. It's constantly changing every panel. And I love in the second panel, the the robot Sapuloid squashes the bird on top and out squ- <laughs> squirts out a million eggs right into his own face. That's bizarre. It's so bizarre. I love it. It's pretty funny. And I like uh, they. He says Sapuloid says that uh, Hokey is the god of naughtiness and nasty thoughts. <laughs> yeah. And let me see. In the third panel, uh, Hokey says, Another mess you've gotten me into, Stanley. That's a reference mm-hmm. to uh, Laurel and Hardy. Stan, Stan Laurel and uh, Oliver Hardy. Uh, right? Oliver Hardy. Oliver, Hardy would always say, Another mess you've gotten us into or me into. It's one of his catchphrases. Right. And there, in that same panel, Thor's busting out of the ground, or Sor is busting out of the ground. He has his little hammer there, and he says, I'll give you such an earache. And I don't know if that's like a direct reference to something, but I'm always reminded of, there's a Looney Tunes cartoon, I think it's Rabbit Seasoning, where Elmer Fudd is hunting. Uh, it's one of those cartoons where Daffy and Bugs are having a big fight over which season it is, duck season or, or rabbit season. Oh, yeah. Right. And then they put up a sign saying elephant season and Elmer Fudd looks beside him and there's there's an elephant and the elephant says, you do and I'll give you such a pinch. And it's like, that's oh. probably a cultural reference to like a radio program or something at the time. But I have no idea because they use that line, a similar line a couple of times. And now we're getting a, such a, I'll give you such an earache, which is very, very similar. Yeah. Well, I have no idea about that one. I did see that um, when uh, Sora sees it, it it's uh, hokey. Causing a problem, he says uh, that he is his second cousin, twice removed on the Uncle Sydney side. Right. That's kind of referencing. Uh, I guess it's still <laughs> still not real clear how they're related. <laughs> yeah. 
I think uh, I, I'm pretty sure they call them half brothers in these early comics. Uh-huh. Uh, but we, yeah, we don't know. They they do poke fun at the fact that they're not direct direct relatives. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just love this small hammer that that uh, yeah. Thor has. It's an actual like hardware hammer instead of the big mallet that we're used to seeing. It's really good. That's right. And they call it the true blue hammer instead of the uru hammer. The witch hammer? Oh yeah, the true that's blue it. hammer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, okay, and then in the last panel, he says, uh, there's only one thing to do. I'll stay here and cry for a while. And when Hokey invites me to his birthday party next week, I'll show him. I'll get there late. <laughs> and I, that could also be a reference to the, that old song, uh, It's My Party and I'll Cry If I yeah, Want To. That makes sense. Yep. Okay, moving on to page 60. Yeah, he actually begins his origin story. Yeah, and it's actually a fairly straightforward uh, straightforward page in terms of cultural references. I love that it's an umbrella that he finds instead of a walking stick. He has to <laughs> not he has to bat his umbrella against the ground. <laughs> right. I, I like the well the joke in the uh, first panel. He's walking across these mountains, and he says, "Next time I go for a drive, I must remember I've got to bring my car." <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yep, and he's got a bandage on his foot because um, regular um, uh, regular Thor is or Donald Blake is is uh, is lame. He's got a, a bum foot, oh, right? So they put a, they just put in a bandage here. In the second panel, um, he says. As he's falling, he says, better straighten my tie. And I imagine that's one line that was written after the art was done. Oh, okay. He has his hands under his chin. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, why would he be, have his hands under his chin like that? <laughs> uh, okay, so in the next panel, um, or it's a, on the next page, page 61, uh, we have the inscription on the, on the hammer. And instead of the typical whosoever wield this hammer, it says, it just says, to whom it may concern, you are now named, you are now a god named Sor, signed Daddy. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Yeah, I love it. And, uh, well, he's become Thor. He's tapped the hammer. And he says, ever since I was a kid, I wished for a bike, a set of bongo drums, and godhood. <laughs> <laughs> now all I need is the bike and the bongo drums. <laughs> Yeah, pretty funny. Um, and then, yeah, we, and there's one panel that has a whole ton of um, newspaper uh, pages because um, Thor is getting, or Sora is getting to be um, a popular guy. Daily Bugle is in there. The Daily Toot is another one I like. Um, and, but then there's also, there's a reference in the Variety newspaper. It says, Sora is Bafo, coast to coast. And then under it says, Trendex rating, ratings give him a, an edge over Bonanza. Bonanza was the number one TV show at the time. Uh-huh. And Trendex was actually um, a, a device, like a company that mm. gathered information via telephone calls about audience viewing habits so that they could see. So that it was like the Nielsen ratings, except right. it, they, people had to actually call on the phone to find out the information. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I never heard of that. Yeah, I had I looked it up because I saw it. I'm like, that's kind of weird. So yeah, I looked it up, and they they actually were around when Nielsen was around. But because Nielsen invented the box that you plugged into your TV that recorded your info for you, it was pretty quick that they realized you didn't need to call anybody anymore. So that yeah. company kind of went under. Interesting. Yep. Bottom page, there is a, a lo, um, Hokey is holding a gun, and <laughs> and Sor says, "Anyway, that Kirby-esque cannon cannot harm me, and right. it is the most Kirbyest cannon that you've ever seen. It's yeah. like Kirby <laughs> doing Kirby on top of Kirby. Right, <laughs> it's beautiful. <laughs> it's yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> and they, in the last panel, mm-hmm. Hokey says, um, he says, because you won the battle last issue, now it's my turn.'" Yeah, I guess it's. I guess it is. Like his his uh, the the gun blew up in his face or something. It's not yeah, exactly clear, but you have yeah. to. I guess you have to determine that through the dialogue. Yeah, and that's another reference to the way Stan Lee wrote his comics. Right. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so page number 62, uh, Sor heads off to to his home of Jazzguard, and I was expecting to see Jazzguard full of, like, beatniks or something, but oh, yeah. th- they don't go that way. <laughs> they don't that would have made sense. Yeah, yeah that would have been great. And uh, let me see here. So he comes across Gumball, which is, of course, Heimdall. And uh, and he's, Gumball is farsighted. He's got these glasses on <laughs> that allow him to see a distance away. So that's that's pretty funny. Uh, and, this, and then he didn't recognize Sor until he heard his high-pitched voice. <laughs> and that, that just totally makes me reimagine what this character is like. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Well, then the high-pitched voice also t- just goes along with the the uh, giving him a more feminine touch. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was funny. Um, yeah, there's so, not, not a whole lot I have to say for this page as well. Do you have anything else for this page? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I like that um, the editor's note says they don't show exactly how he used the hammer to travel a jazz guard. <laughs> right. Because he says then uh, the sky would become cluttered with impersonators. Ah, yes, of course. Don't want those guys flying around the, around the sky. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then there's another Irving Forbush, Irving Forbush reference in the last panel. Furs by Forbush. That's right. Yep. Okay, this next page though, page sixty-three. Oh boy! So there's <laughs> this the big panel uh, at the top of the page where it's just so many different uh, caricatures of people. Yeah, it's tourist season in Jazz Garden. Yeah, and all of these people are are have visited, have crossed the Rainbow Bridge to visit Jazz Garden, and. Uh, I could name maybe half of them, and there yeah. were some that I just didn't know at all and had to look up. But uh, it was actually easy. You look online, and there are people who have mapped out every character on this page for you. So did you see that? No, I didn't. I don't think I saw that one. Okay. Um, you want to try and name all these people? Well, I see um, the Monkees, yep. Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. Martin Luther King, uh, Mao. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Chairman Mao. I think so. Yep. Uh, Muhammad Ali. Yeah. Uh, President Lyndon Johnson. In the cowboy Dr. hat? Yeah, yeah. Uh, J. Jonah Jameson, Aunt May, C. Alfred E. Newman. Right. Uh, the Munsters. The Munsters, yep. Yeah. So there's, a, did you say Don Knotts? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there he is. And let's see, some of these other people here. Jackie Gleason is over by Dr. Doom. Oh, yeah, right. I didn't recognize him. Uh, Charles de Gaulle is the guy on the other side of J. Jonah Jameson with the big nose. Oh, okay. Frank Sinatra and Mia Farrow yep, are I there underneath that. the Munsters. Um, Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton uh-huh. are up above uh, above Alfred E. Newman. Mm-hmm. Robert F. Kennedy is beside Newman. Oh, okay. And let's see, who's this conductor? Mitch Miller is the conductor okay. in the middle. He had a he had a show called Sing Along with Mitch. Right. Okay. And Kid Colt up in the top corner. Yep. And I think it's Baron Von Strucker uh, in the corner there as well. That's right. That's He's a character from um, from Captain America. No, Ca- Captain America? Yeah, Captain America. I think so, yeah. So yeah, that's a lot of characters there. That's a, that's a crowded panel, yeah. That's cool. It's, and it's a good cross-section of, of everything from music to movies to sports to politics. Like, everybody is there. That's true. And then moving down below, uh, we have the Fafner Follies on, <laughs> opening tonight. It's great that they have their own um, their own kind of Hollywood district in in Jazzgard. <laughs> yeah, all the signs of sh- different shows. Bifrost to go go. Yep. <laughs> 
Um, and then we also come across the the Warriors Three: Bullstag, the Belly, Hokum, the Grin, and Farfel, the Fun Loving. <laughs> that and that's great. They really accentuate the the characteristics of these guys. Although yeah. the the way that he that Bullstag is drawn is kind of similar to how uh, Walt Simonson drew him, like just absolutely that's ginormous. Cute. Yeah, and he's wearing a sign that says "Legalized Potatoes." Right now, did, we had that in the last issue too, didn't we? Really, I don't remember that. Um, oh, maybe we didn't. Yeah, potatoes were banned in France um, in like the medieval times. Okay, right. And I think it was due to um, to leprosy fears. People thought that you contract leprosy through certain types of foods that were not properly stored or kept or whatever. Uh, Is that right? It's during. It's during. Uh, it's not during the medieval times. It's, it's a little bit after that. Um, and I I wonder if it's just there because the you know the the typical Asgardian look is very kind of medieval anyway so it was kind of mm-hmm. a reference at that time this was this would have been like the 1700s yeah yeah that makes sense i thought it was just cause he ate a lot <laughs> but <laughs> well that too that too <laughs> for sure uh, let's move on to page 64, where we finally get to see uh, Schmoden. Mm-hmm. We have another very Jack Kirby-style gun in this first yes. panel. <laughs> and this guy, Seymour the Sorcerer, is a reference to um, Seedring the Merciless. Mm-hmm. And so he's got he a very... Also. Pardon me? He looks very different from the comics version also. Yeah, but he still has a very good um, Jack Kirby look. He's got a yes. uh, the, the Jack Kirby crooked teeth. <laughs> That's right. Yep. And this guy's gun blows up in his face, too, so it's becoming a running gag now. That's right. And we have, there's a reference to um, Millie the model, just in the in the last panel here. Oh, tell, yeah. tell me a bedtime story like you used to about mm-hmm. Millie the model. <laughs> and uh, Seymour the Sorcerer's gripe with Schmoden is that uh, everyone on Jazzguard works for free and is immortal. So Schmoden has free la- labor forever. Um, And then he says, um, or Seymour the Sorcerer, right in the middle of the page here, says, Stokely and the boys uh, Mm. want me to tell you that the honeymoon's over, Pop. And Stokely Carmichael, I looked this up, Stokely Carmichael was the leader of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and Advocate of Black Power. Right. So (laughs) a very specific cultural reference there. That's that's right. And Schmoden is worried uh, that there'll be protest marches during tour season. Yep. And 1967 was a year of a lot of protest marches, so that was very culturally relevant. And they, they do that. Every chance they get in this book, it seems that there are people in the background holding signs and posting signs about this and that, protesting things all That's throughout. Right. Yep. Page 65, there is a reference to Snoopy. <laughs> yeah, he says, imagine Snoopy finally down the Red Baron. <laughs> yeah, you've been finding the Red Baron forever. And then uh, we also get to meet uh, Jane Foster, or they call her Fester, Nurse Fester, <laughs> in this one. So that's kind of that's cool. Um, that's right. There is one story in the early days of Thor. I think when Odin dis- comes to Earth and disguises himself as a doctor. Is that I can't. I think so. I, oh really? Yeah. And and so yeah, there he, he's here with Odin or with um with Nurse Fester, and they start dancing a groovy, dancey hip beat. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> in the last panel there. Looks like he takes over um, uh, Dr. Blake's uh, job and cures everybody with his magic and just has a party with uh, Jane Foster. That's right. <laughs> yeah, a lot of 60s slang there. I'll get with a gal. Why should a square like sore make, a, make the scene on Earth? From now on, this is my hang-up. 
And she says, so be it, daddy-o. I love it. It's the cross between the Thor speak, like, so be it. And then the, the, the slang. It's That's a, true. It's a good uh, good juxtaposition, I guess, right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And that's the end. Yeah, that's the end of our first story, the uh, origin of the mighty sore. Um, I guess let's keep on going to the next one, the in, the inedible bulk. <laughs> and I love they put a little asterisk on inedible, and they and they say, "Would you believe toxic?" <laughs> <laughs> this is the origin of Brucey Banter and Friends. This is a story written by Gary Friedrich and Marie Severin. Marie doing the artwork, and she did uh, some artwork in the previous issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was the previous issue. She's done quite a bit throughout. Oh, yeah. That- yeah, actually, the, yeah, they did the Blunder Agents story. Yeah, and she does so well with this humorous style. She she really does. And Gary Friedrich and Marie Severin actually did Hulk stories, like regular Hulk stories together as well. Um, right. Most famously, they did the uh, or the first Hulk annual with the Inhumans. Uh-huh, right. So you can contrast if you want to see what these two guys can do with a serious Hulk story. And they do a good job with that, too. So it's it's neat to see Marie Severin do this. She's a fantastic artist. Yeah. I, I love the way she draws the Hulk with no neck. With, yep. <laughs> Blends right into his chest. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. But uh, do you have anything to say about this first page? That's an action-packed splash page. He's wandering through New York, wondering why everybody runs from him. He decides it's because he forgot to use his head and shoulder shampoo this week. <laughs> yep. <laughs> uh, there's, there are lots of uh, signs. One says, well, go see lives. He actually died way back in 56. Right. A bum, uh, a bum says, back to no cow. I guess that's Northern California. Sign set on a police box says to call police, yell. <laughs> um, there's Herman Munster in a window calling his wife Lily. And uh, yeah, there's a little dog jumping into the sewers saying, <laughs> Vive la France! <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. And I like in the in the credits page, it says, Stan Lee empathetically emphasizes that he had nothing whatsoever to do with this oh. Gary Friedrich and Marie Severin chlorophylled colored catastrophe. <laughs> And then Gary and Marie say, we really didn't do it either, but someone's got to take the blame. And then yeah. Artie says, I lettered it, I lettered it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then in brackets, I'll do anything for a buck. So that yeah. fun that pokes fun at the the, the credits, because the, in the regular co- comics as well, they usually put fun credits during this period that make mm-hmm. fun of the letterer and stuff. And so they kind of take that up to the next level here. Yeah, that's great. I enjoy that. On page Letter six, always gets a brother. Yeah, he does. <laughs> On page 67, we see the Hulk uh, going after a good hu- goody humor ice cream ice cream vendor. Um, and it seems like uh, Hulk has a Charlie Brown complex. Oh, yeah. He's like, no one likes me. Um, no one wants to be around me, kind of. Well, I can see that. Yeah, that's, that's a good comparison. Yeah, it's not the same sort of Hulk smash get out of get out of my sight kind of uh, attitude. He's more he's more of a little kid, I think. Mm, right. And he just can't win. Yeah. And then in the first panel, there's a tank rumbling up. And a bystander says, um, he says, uh, uh, the army should know better than to come after the bulk after more than 30 issues. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, in the in the last panel, the guy in the, the tank says, call Spidey Man, call Nat Man, call Stan Lee. So Nat Man, of <laughs> course, that's a reference to the last issue where we had Nat Man. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Stan Lee. <laughs> Stan Lee's going to do something about this. Only he can fix it, yeah. 
And there's also another reference to the blunder agents, which is from last issue as well. The Hulk oh, at the, yeah. or the bulk at the very bottom says, Bulk never do nothing to nobody or other blunder agents because nobody <laughs> is one of the blunder agents. That's right. Exactly. That was a, that was a good one. Yeah. And there are a lot of uh, green, a lot of green references. He gets a green avocado lime, uh, ice Watermelon. cream bar. The, yeah. That's true. And uh, he thinks he was bitten by a bug. He says the bug must think he's a prize winning watermelon. so page 69 there's a i love that panel at the very top where he's like going into a little rage here again with no neck so his head is like way way down (laughs) (laughs) and he oh yeah and uh the hulk gets mad and he says you've had it charlie and i'm thinking that's a reference to a book that came out actually it's in 69 uh called you had it charlie brown maybe okay i don't know if that came out in 69 that wouldn't work but it maybe it was like a, a referring to the Viet Cong. They called them Charlie. And that could have been just a phrase from the comic strip that maybe, maybe was popular or something. Mm, uh, but yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie Brown Complex, it says here at the top. Yep, yep. It says he'll get a Charlie Brown Complex because everyone hates him. Yeah. Um, all bulk want is basic things in life. New XKE, which that is a, a Jaguar. A Jaguar, right? yeah. A color television, beautiful mod girl like Twiggy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, she Twiggy was had a weird career. She was very popular at this time, and she kind of did yeah. a little bit of everything. Yeah, she was a model, actress, and was she a singer? Yep. Yeah, and he says maybe he'd uh, like a job, too. Maybe a job, yeah. Uh, and then we meet at the very bottom, we meet Thunderbolt Ross, yep. um, but he, they call him Thunderdolt. <laughs> yeah, Thunderdolt perfect. Ross, and then Bitty Ross. Mm-hmm. Great panel, great panel there of, of uh, a disheveled Bruce Banner, Brucey Banter. Right, he's yeah, thinking back to his origin now. Yep. Yeah. And then moving on to page 69, uh, there's a lot in this page. Mm-hmm. Let's see, uh, right in the top left panel, uh, Bruce says, At last, Thunderdolt, after 25 years of cleaning garbage pails, my day has finally come. And Thunderdolt says, sure, and I'm the Jefferson Airplane. All five of them. All five of them, right. I think there were generally six of them, right? Yes, there were six <laughs> six members, so don't know what he's kind of going for like that. And then I think that's a joke, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, Betty Ross or Biddy Ross says, "You you may become as famous as Engelbert Humperdinck, who has oh, yeah. the best name in uh in 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 music." Yeah, that was my father's favorite singer. Oh yeah. Well, was he, yeah. he was popular at the time. He had a he had an album in the top 10 in 67. Yeah, yeah. He was big. He was an Indian crooner by way of uh, England, and I think he had just become famous in 1967. His real name was Arnold George Dorsey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, Engelbert Humperdinck uh, is actually the name of a composer, I believe. That's where he got his name. Oh, right, yes. I don't know which is the better name. They're both kind of terrible. <laughs> yes, right. Uh, there's a reference to Werner von Braun, mm-hmm. uh, and Werner von Braun is a German aerospace engineer, but he was actually the, the chief architect of the Saturn Super Heavy Lift launch vehicle that yeah. propelled, propelled the Apollo to the moon in 1967. That would have happened after this comic came out, but he was working for NASA at the time. Wow. I read that the American military and NASA recruited 1,600 Nazi scientists after World War II. Yeah. Amazing. amazing. They worked on you know, the Manhattan Project and the uh, Space Project and everything. And they mentioned uh, Gyro Gearloose from uh, Donald Duck. That's right. Yeah. The, the Karl Barks comics, he was pretty popular at the time through the, through the 60s. Yep. 
and also Simon and Garfunkel. It's funny that they, because they, this is a, he's saying a list of scientists, Einstein, Von yes. Braun, Gyro Gearloose, and Simon and Garfunkel. Right. <laughs> Um, I love how much Biddy is just all over Brucey. She just can't let him go. She's always just um, hugging him or cuddling some part of him. That's right. That's <laughs> really right. hinting at the fascination that she has with him in the comics because she, even though yeah. he's like turns into a monster and stuff, she just can't get enough of him. <laughs> right. I'm sure that's the attraction. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. And it shows, again, how women are portrayed in all these issues, really. They're all man hungry just want to date yeah <laughs> not a lot of character to them in the bottom row we see this ki- kid with long hair he's a long hair hippie kind of a 60s kid yeah slick jones instead of <laughs> rick jones and typically in the hulk's origin story R- rick jones is this very 1950s style kind of a kid kind right. of a teen but now because we are toward the end of the 60s he's got a different look <laughs> he's a <laughs> definitely a, a a beat teen now right with a mop hair yep yeah and he's Stealing parts from the truck in the junkyard. Yes. And Brucey says he doesn't need a crummy JD spoiling his big moment as he's about to test his um, uh, formula that will end pollution forever. JD, I, I can only imagine that stands for junk dog. I don't know. Uh, that could be. Was that a term at the time? I thought it was like juvenile delinquent, but it ah, could be. There you go. But yeah, I mean, I, either would probably work in Slick Jones's case. <laughs> I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the next page, page 70, uh, page which is also page 5 of this story, we get a reference to Molly Malone. Right. And that was a traditional folk song in the 1800s, but it was popularized mm. in 1965 by wow. Bing Crosby. He actually recorded it with um, a, a bunch of people recorded this song, including like Rosemary Clooney and such. But Bing Crosby recorded it in 65 and then he did it again in a different recording in 1966. So it was quite popular, I think, in the in, in pop culture this time. Right. Very good. And uh, the uh, there's a gurgling beaker for, full of the green formula and it says bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Of course, that's from Shakespeare's Macbeth. Right, yep. And they use this term. I'd, I'd never heard it before. You know, I've heard um, Sock It To Me and all that. But they use the term glitzy a lot. Glitzy, yeah. Yeah, throughout this book. And I had never heard that phrase before. The formula expo- uh, explodes and Brucey gets a glitzy feeling. Huh, yeah, I didn't notice that. That that one panel right there that you're referencing, he says, I've got this nutty, glitzy feeling is definitely a reference to Nutty Professor, Jerry Lewis's Nutty Professor. Makes sense. Yep. He even kind of draws him in a Jerry Lewis way. <laughs> That's very true. Actually, I just watched that last week. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. And he, uh, Brucey also says he's getting an itchy, twitchy feeling, which uh, appears to refer to uh, Bobby Hendricks' 1958 song. Right. And he says he uh, feels like tossing and turning, which refers to the Bobby Lewis song from 1960. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that was a really popular one. It got that was um, got up to number one, hmm. number one on the the Billboard charts. Yep, I actually know that one. <laughs> yeah, uh, and then there's yeah, there's references to Alka Alka Beltzer, Alka Seltzer, <laughs> right? And says he, he he rips off all his clothes and he says he feels like Playboy centerfold. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, reference to Mister Clean. There's just yep. so many little little nods to different things. And in the story, he actually loses his pants when he turns into the bulk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, people always ask, well, how's his pants staying on? Yeah, and then he says, sorry about that, Bulk had to dash out for a new pair of stretch pants. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I just, uh, I'm, I'm in the process of reading uh, David Lee Ross' uh, 
Crazy from the Heat autobiography. Oh, yeah. And he grew up, you know, all throughout the 60s, about eight years before I did. And uh, it's interesting talking him talking about the pop culture at the time. And um, he says he was most uh, influenced by Dolomite, Playboy magazine, Mad Magazine, and Marvel Comics. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Aren't we all? So you see a lot of that in here, references to Playboy. and That's right. Yeah. Um, the, the reference to Mr. Clean here in the bottom panel, he says, I'm such a big, strong person. Me going to be a living legend like Mr. Clean. And Mr. Clean was, they spent a lot on their marketing campaign. And because of that, they became a household name in like six months. They went from oh, really? being unknown to the most popular best-selling household cleaner on the market. That's amazing. Yeah. So I think that's what that they're trying to works. reference there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. And, um... Slick uh, sees the bulk and says he would be a smash on the Borch circuit. And that's the um, entertainers who were work the Jewish vacation resorts in upstate New York. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, and then there is a run. I don't, where did it go? I made a note that there's a reference to defective comics here. Uh, where did that go? Huh. Oh, I see. The uh, the garbage that's raining down on in the fourth panel in the second tier, uh, the, the first panel in the second tier, the, the okay. Nutty Professor yeah. panel, there's a defective uh -huh. comics falling from the uh -huh. sky with the rest of the garbage. Defective comics <laughs> is garbage. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they don't miss an opportunity. Nope, they don't. It's, it's great. <laughs> okay, moving on to page 71. Right here, um, the, the Incredible Bulk says, You bet I changed. Bulk gotten too handsome for you. Now I'm more <laughs> Bridget Bardot's type. <laughs> Bridget Bardot was a French sex icon <laughs> during the 60s. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, reference to urban renewal as well. A bunch of the old buildings coming down and making way for progress. So the Hulk is just... Uh, I guess they were protect overprotective. The uh, an organization called Urban Renewal. They didn't want just anybody breaking down buildings because mm. Thunderbolt says, I'll report you to Urban Renewal when the Hulk tries to wreck a building. Uh -huh. And in the first panel, uh, Biddy says that the Brucey has changed a bit after he's turned into the Hulk bulk. And um, she, in the second panel, she asks him uh, if he looks different because he's been using greasy kid stuff. Greasy kid stuff? Yeah. Uh, Vitalis Men's Hairdressing used to have a commercial in which it referred to the competition Brill Cream as greasy kid stuff. Ah. I read that a couple of advertising guys actually invented a product called greasy kid stuff, but it only lasted a few months. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, in the same panel, Rick Jones is saying, "Sick and bulky, baby, I'll make you more famous than you be Waza." Yeah, and those those were uh, advertisements in the comics. Uh, Ubi Waza was a martial arts, a secret martial arts course that you could take uh, if you signed up through the, the advertisements in the comic books. <laughs> and is that's right. They claimed you could train you to kill a man with your pinky. That's right. Yeah, there's a secret, a secret, amazing secret art of self defense. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, apparently it was apparent it was basically just jujitsu but and it was this one guy who who invented it, it invented it and said that he had the he only he's the only person to know the secret other than the man who like the guru he learned it from in japan who lives in a mountain or something like that it was just a ridiculous thing <laughs> <laughs> but pretty funny the things they got in the comics the things kids paid for <laughs> yeah and I think when you when you signed up, they he just mailed you like a, a a piece of paper. It was just a pamphlet with a couple of instructions on it, and that was it. it really, wasn't, it wasn't anything more than that. Oh my gosh! Yeah, what a jet. 
Yeah, but all of those, I love those old advertisements where you see, like, here's, you can buy 3D glasses, or, I mean, x-ray specs, yep. and, <laughs> yeah, okay. pretty good. Uh, there's also a reference to Uncle Scrounge, which mm-hmm. is Uncle Scrooge, and David Jansen, the fugitive. Um, and then the, at the bottom of the page, the bulk turns back into Brucey Banter. He says he feels like he had a case of gastronemia. I, uh, Google, okay. yeah, I Google gastromenia, yep. and you know what I found? An image of this page. Of <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. really? <laughs> <laughs> that's, so it's made up. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, uh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, there's also a reference to something called Gabber Lunzi in the middle panel. And though he didn't know it at the time, our green-skinned Gabber Lunzi, mm-hmm. his troubles were just beginning. So what is a Gabber Lunzi? I looked that up. Apparently in medieval times, beggars had to be licensed. Mm. And so a Gabber Lindsay is a medieval licensed beggar. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's great. And I don't know why they put that in here. Probably because it starts with the letter G yeah. so they can the have liter- the alliteration. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, uh, comics did uh, teach you uh, a lot of grammar and literature. and If you're willing to look up the case. references. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There is also a reference to Dear Tabby, which is a re- is Dear Abby, the uh, mm-hmm. newspaper column, uh, and then also Exedrin, which is a parody of Exer- Exedrin, mm-hmm. which was, I think, just coming on the market in the 60s. Yeah, and when he turns, uh, when he realizes as he's turned back uh, into Brucey banter, he says, Hoppy horn- Hoppin' Horny Toads. Uh, sounds like Yosemite Sam. Right, yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, what a revolting development this is. And that was a catchphrase of uh, the character Chester A. Riley from the radio and TV show of The Life of Riley. Ah, nice. Yeah, there's so probably so many references that we are missing as well that we just don't even know <laughs> our actual references. That's right. Hey, final page of this story, page 72. We have uh, Bruce thinking of Biddy, and he's saying Dizzy Dame, always singing songs from the famous musical Bye Bye Brucey. Yes. Of course, that is Bye Bye Birdie. Right. Uh, and then, oh, and then in the same panel, he says there's a reference to pink suede shoes, which mm-hmm. is blue suede shoes, of course, Elvis. That's right. Um, and so we have... Starts, oh, yeah, go ahead. He starts looking for a cure of his problem turning into the bulk. Or actually, does he want to stay the Hulk? <laughs> no, he's trying to you know, find a cure, I guess, of turning into the bulk. And he goes to um, Dr. Silvana. Yeah, Captain Marvel's enemy from DC or from um, Fawcett. Was it at the time? Fawcett, right? Yeah, at the time it was it was uh, well, Fawcett had gone under. Uh, they went under in '53, but they but DC bought or licensed their characters in '72. So this was during a period where nobody was using these characters. Uh, right. But yeah, Doctor Savannah and Shazam, like they even used their proper names. They don't even try to hide it. Yeah, they did. I guess that's why, right? I guess so. Because they weren't licensed to anybody. Uh, and Hulk is at the grocery store, and he's asking for green stamps. And there was a you could all of the grocery stores gave out stamps as a form of a rewards program in the sixties. Um, oh, right. Sperry and Hutchinson green stamps. And I was coincidentally I was watching an an episode of the Dick Van Dyke Show last night. And yeah. they, at the very beginning of the episode, um, they, the two main characters were filling these books with stamps. And they had ah. 21 books full of 
stamps and they were talking about like all the things that they could get for these stamps. It's like that's such a product of the time. You don't you don't do that anymore. That's right. Um, okay, let's see here. There's an Atlas reference in the second panel, like uh, the Atlas advertisements, where it's like you know you could be, you could become this muscular guy. You, you know right. the, the comic where is like the twerp uh, on the beach gets sand kicked in his face by the muscle guys, and so he becomes a muscle guy himself and, and uh, gets mm-hmm. his revenge. <laughs> <laughs> right. And there is a reference to James Bond. Oh yeah. Can you get me a job replacing Sean Connery in James Bond movies? <laughs> And in the same panel as Esquire, reference to Esquire magazine, I think was Sean Connery might have been one of the uh, the year's sexiest men in Esquire or something like that at the time. Wouldn't surprise. Yep. Yeah, James Bond movies were huge then. And then the final panel, very obvious reference to the Jolly Green Giant. Yeah, that's uh, Slick's idea for solving his problem. He becomes a new Jolly Green Giant. Yep. Selling canned vegetables. But the Jolly Green Giant—it's also a—it's also a song by the Kinsmen, oh. which was which reached number four on the Billboard charts in 1964. Uh-huh. So kind of Never a double, double reference there, yeah. Okay, and I just noticed uh, as the Volks dressed up as a Jolly Green Giant, he's going ho ho ho, hee haw, hee haw, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's to the TV show. That Probably. Yep, I would imagine it. so. And at the very end, in the very bottom corner, it says, To be bulk kin- bulk-kinued, <laughs> mm. which was a okay. reference to the old Hulk issues in Tales to Astonish. They would always say, To be Hulk-kinued. Oh, they did? Okay. Yep, they did. <laughs> Oh boy, okay. One more story to go in this issue here. We have the origin, the original origin. Oh, hold on. The, the full title is The Honest to Irving True Blue Top Secret Original Origin of Charlie America. Now it can be told if anyone is still interested, that is. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, there! This first panel is quite something. There is a lot of references in here. Yeah. Everything from Captain America's um, costume with uh, the the star. The star has a little met different message on it every time. Kind of like how Thor's symbols changed. Yep. Uh, he's got cigarettes rolled up in his shirt sleeve, which <laughs> is popular in the fifties, right. um, or not even the, maybe even earlier than the fifties. Maybe. And it's a, can you read the cigarettes? It says candy cigs. Candy cigs, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then I love what he says here as well. He says, but my origin hasn't been reprinted in a couple of weeks, so I might as well <laughs> tell somebody. And that I love that because That's in right. these old comics, they were constantly reprinting origin mm. stories and like tell- retelling the origin stories in, in two pages or something because, you know, reprints weren't a thing, like collected editions weren't a thing back then. So in order to catch people up to speed, they often worked it into the story. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I see. And this was, um, it was written by Roy Thomas and illustrated by Tom Sutton. And, you know, I was never crazy about Tom Sutton's work. Uh, you know, I, um, I remember him from The Invaders, and I thought his style was a little too cartoony, a little too silly Yeah. Um, for superhero comics. But for this, it's absolutely perfect. Yeah, I mean, his style wor- served the purpose well with because he did a lot of work for EC Comics, and oh yeah, he, and EC had they did a lot of horror stuff and horror, like like those kind of stories. And he his little bend of of sort of more cartoony mixed with horror actually it worked really well for those stories. I like that, but uh-huh, yeah, okay. maybe not for the superhero stuff. But it fits really well in Not Brand X for sure. Yeah, yeah he's one of their best artists here, I think. Uh, man, so much here. There's a spinner rack <laughs> behind Captain America with a whole bunch of comics on there. Um, yeah. They're all different. Brand. Brand, brand, brand Yik. Brand Arg. <laughs> brand Black. Brand Yeesh. <laughs> totally. Every version. 
And then the, the thing is reading a geology magazine and his head is exploding. So I'm guessing that he's getting turned on by the rocks he's seeing. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay. uh, yeah. And oh, I love this. Uh, Cyclops is our yeah. first X-Men reference here. Oh, okay. Uh, which I think X-Men was pretty new at the time. But uh, he's reading a Gloom Patrol magazine. And there is mm-hmm. lots of references back in this day and age to how similar the X-Men and the Doom Patrol were. They have very, right. very similar makeup of characters and similar kind of purpose of, of, of their stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they were pretty similar. Lots of characters in this soda shop as well, including Doctor Strange and Aunt May and Daredevil wearing his glasses over top of his his costume. (laughs) That's right. Um, And a Hydra agent. Yeah. You notice uh, Doc Furious, Furious, uh, his sergeant stripes are ripped off his jacket sleeve. Oh. (laughs) Yeah, and his buttons come loose. It's like he's... Badly sticking out from under his shirt. Yeah. He's got canceled GI insurance as well. He's washed up. Down and out. Yeah, he has an ace of spades stuck in his boot. Well, Captain America has one, too. Yep, yep. They're both cheating at cards. <laughs> and they're drinking, uh, uh, I guess, a float or soda. Yeah, it's, it's Neapolitan ice cream. Uh-huh. So it's French. So, okay. <laughs> so I think there's just a play on the French versus America. Yeah. Okay, moving on to page 74. The first thing that popped out to me here is all of the comic book characters. I love this, how they they have all the classic comic book characters in here. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one we see is uh, Dick Tracy in the the garbage pails, Mm -hmm. along with with, with Charlie Brown. Yeah. I was thinking it was Big Ben. Well, he says good grief. It's all true, true. Okay. So I'm thinking that he's probably Charlie Brown, but I mean, yeah, it could be Pig Pen too. He's just dirty because he's in the trash can. (laughs) Right. Okay. But they and Dick Tracy calls him Double O Seven Eleven. That's a that's a good one. Um, yeah, but we see Steve Rogers. What do they call him in this one? He's not Steve Rogers. Uh, slick. Um, speed, no, Speedy Rogers. Speedy Rogers. That's right, Speedy Rogers. And he's delivering newspapers for the war effort, which is funny mm-hmm. because they canceled a lot of newspapers uh-huh. because of the paper shortages. <laughs> True, and he's, he's delivering nitty gritty. Which I right. suppose is the grit, which was advertised comics. Totally, yep. Um, and then in the middle here, we see little orphan Annie and her dog Sandy. They call th- they call her little awful Angie and her dog Sandhog. Yeah, <laughs> <And> she, <laughs> she's reading Millie the model. And instead of saying uh, bark, the dog goes barf. Barf. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, as uh, Dick Tracy and Charlie Brown are hopping along in the trash can, getting closer. The sound effect is sneak, sneak, sneak. <laughs> yeah, that's such a. I feel like that's like a Monty Python kind of a ah. kind of a thing, but I don't. I don't know. That wouldn't have been around at this time. Yeah, I guess not. No. And as uh, little awful Annie uh, gives him a backhand, the sound effect is flick, flick. Yeah. And she, and she turns out to be uh, takes off a mask, and she turns out to be. Is it Little Annie Fanny? I guess, yeah. Which is the character b- b- from uh, the Playboy magazines, a comic strip uh, by Harvey Kurtzman. She has a real date with uh, a date with a real man, Batrock the Beeper. The Beeper, yeah, and <laughs> Batrock the Leaper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then this next panel is great because we see a whole ton of comic characters, mm-hmm. uh, including way more peanuts. We, I can see Snoopy and Lucy, and I think Pigpen's the one smoking the cigarette in the background there. <laughs> yes, I see, yeah. And then Pogo as well. Pogo is down right. at the very bottom. As um, Speedy's being uh, carried off by Dick Tracy and the Peanuts gang, he says, 
I'm being abducted, carried off, captured even. <laughs> that, that sounds like uh, ventriloquist Paul Winchell doing his Tigger voice, maybe. Totally, yeah, yeah. And he would do a similar kind of thing for uh, Snagglepuss. That, that might be it, yeah. 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 And I, I looked up Paul Winchell. He said he was the first person to build and patent an artificial heart. I had no idea. Wow, really? I have new respect for him, yeah. <laughs> huh, that's amazing. Yeah. And we see a couple of old DC characters here yep. with the Flash and Superman and Batman. And they're afraid. <laughs> that's they're, they're, They don't want anything to do with what's going on here. And, and they're reading a Sunk Mariner comic. Yep, <laughs> that's right. They don't want to get involved. Yeah. And I like the in the phone booth, the sign says, superheroes will kindly use the phone booth next door. <laughs> <laughs> right. And... Um, Speedy tries to warn, I guess, the DC characters that he's been kidnapped by Nazis, Sikh Heilers, Goose Steppers, would you believe East Germans? <laughs> At the time, uh, Germany was divided into East and West Germany. Right. Yeah. On the panel, so in the middle panel with little Annie Fanny, there's a newspaper that says Dewey wins. Oh, yeah, I see it. That was a reference to the Chicago Daily Tribune incorrectly runs a, a wrong headline because uh-huh. because Truman won, but the the headline said Dewey defeats Truman. If this was in 1948, is a, okay. a very famous newspaper gaffe. <laughs> so they're making fun of that. that right here. Very good. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Shall we move on to page 75? Oh yeah. This is page three of this story here. Right at the very beginning, he says, I got a sudden urge for almond joy. (laughs) I don't get that. Uh, The Peanuts, the Peanuts characters were mascots for almond joy at the time. Yeah, Yeah, they were. That does make sense. Yeah. And you wouldn't, yeah, like that's something that's definitely lost to time. Like you, you, if you don't know that, then that joke just flies right over your head. Yeah. Yeah. So many of these jokes do. Yeah. So Speedy is taken into a fireplace where he falls down a deep hole like Alice in Wonderland. Yep, upside down even, like the, yep. in the Disney movie. Ah, oh, that's right. And, and he then, finds at the bottom a kindly old lady with a sawed-off burp gun. Yeah, they call her Mary Warts, and she's another comic strip <laughs> character called Mary Worth, who, had, mm-hmm. who I think her comic strip may still be running to this day, but it started in 1938. Uh-huh. But she's also a reference to, um, to Ma Barker. She says here, I used to, I used to be Ma- uh, Mary Warts before I changed my name and went to Ma Barker's finishing school. Ma Barker, right. of course, is the, the mother of the Barker Carpus gang, the uh, gang of uh, gangsters in the 30s. Yeah. I think that was in Missouri and Wisconsin. She died in a shootout with the FBI. Yeah. And I, I saw that uh, Lou Abner also carried her as Mary Wart. Oh, yeah. Right. That's funny. <laughs> and that we see a couple more DC characters. Wonder yeah. Woman, the Joker, Wondrous Woman. Yeah, and then the so... Joker <laughs> is funny. The Joker is actually Werner von Broomstick, which is another right. reference to Werner von Braun that right. we saw in the other story. But they're playing him out to be the Joker. Right. So he's the one who's going to experiment on Speedy and make him Charlie America. Right. They put him in a Charlie America uniform. And they tell him that his crazy threads came from their last hideout, which is a flag factory. Uh, which was a what? A flag factory. A flag yeah, right. Factory. <laughs> <laughs> yep, and a reference to the Twilight Zone at the very end here. Mm-hmm. Because if this doesn't work, well, we will send all this junk back to the Twilight Zone. 
Okay, moving on to page number 76. Captain America, or Charlie America, finally is is in the story. Um, he's got his superpowers, and he starts punching out everybody in the room, no matter what side they're on. So he gets Dick Tracy right. in the nose, takes out the Joker. Uh, Wonder Woman sh- uh, swoons over him, yes. of course. <laughs> I like what he says after the transformation. He says, my muscles are growing. My jawbone is widening. My anatomy is improving. Suddenly, I feel compelled to leap around with my feet never less than four feet apart. <laughs> Definitely a reference to the way Jack Kirby uh, has his action poses. There's always this action pose that he's doing right in this first panel here, where <laughs> he's right. he's leaping. One hand is huge in the foreground because it's reached, it's outstretched, and the other one is in the background. One mm-hmm. one knee is up. Yeah, the feet are four feet apart. <laughs> yes. Yep. And with all his punching, he destroys the machine that created him. Right. And he makes a reference for to Charles Fatless, another Charles Atlas. Oh, yeah, that's right. Add there. Yep. Wondrous woman wonders, wonders if he has a girlfriend. She says her costumes would look gl- so glitzy together. Oh, yeah, glitzy. There it is again. Yeah. And then the third panel, the star on uh, Charlie America's back says 99 and 44, 100% pure. I'd never heard of that, but it was Ivory Soap's advertising slogan way nice. back in 1895. Okay, wow. Never heard that before. No, neither have I. In the bottom panel, Charlie America is looking at a book, 1001 Fastest Routes Out of Town by I Am Yella. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> He's got three hands in that panel. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did notice that, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, his his one, his star says, Smile, You're on Candid Camera, which is a popular mm-hmm. show at the time. Yeah. And just like Thor in the last panel, uh, the wings on Captain America are replaced by chicken. <laughs> That's right. Chicken is dropping eggs on his shoulder. That's funny. Oh, and uh, the fifth panel where Von Broomstick is getting shot, the Joker, whatever. (laughs) And uh, the spy who, um, you know, turns on them, the Nazi spy, says, why are you holding your stomach? And Broomstick replies, "Uh, I must have been, uh, it must have been that rutabaga I had for brunch. And I imagine, again, that's a case where the text was written after the picture was drawn. Because he's like shot in the head and he's holding his stomach. Right, right. <laughs> so weird. Uh, you want to go on to 77? Yeah. Okay, 77. Um, there's a reference to Gone with the Wind at the very bottom there. Gone with the Windshield. Because <laughs> that was a long movie. So the, the joke is, um, uh, sure, I know these montage panels don't explain much, but what do you expect in a seven-page story? Gone with the Windshield? Okay, I see. Do you know what, uh, in the first panel on this star on this chest, it says, be a flavor grabber. I don't know what that means. No, I don't know what that means either. It's got to be an ad marketing campaign of some sort. Um, Wonder Woman is dressed up sort of like a Playboy bunny in the second, in the third panel. Oh, yeah, with the ears, right? And the the tail. Yep. (laughs) So Charlie America's hiding from all the shooting in a garbage can. And Wondrous Woman is gushing as he accidentally uses the shield as a, the lid as a shield. Yep. And then he uses the boomerang. Oh, right. When his shield uh, hits the Nazi spy, it goes sucko, and that's when he decides to call himself Charlie America. Right, and then uh, the the very there's another the, the very last panel on this page here is another classic Jack Kirby pose. Again, he's leaping ah, forward true. with his feet outstretched <laughs> and his arms are big, and Kirby loved that. And it says face front, which was a catchphrase yep. for Stan Lee. That's right. It says uh, he has now joined the ranks of Char- Sergeant York, General Patton, and Fearless Forbush. Forbush again. Yep. Yeah, that seems to be a pattern. Um, when they list off people, they'll list off two serious um, suggestions and then one that completely is funny or doesn't make sense. That's right. Yeah, just for the gag. 
Uh, and then if we move over to page 78, we finally meet Bunky Barnes. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, he's got to play into the origin story at somehow, at some point. That's right. And Bunky, well, Rogers is peeling potatoes. And the cap, camp mascot, Bunky, says he outranks an ex-private. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Bunky catches, uh, catches him uh, showering in his Charlie America costume, singing, you got to be a hobbit with me. You're getting to be a hobbit with me. They refer uh, to hobbits and Tolkien stories a lot. In the series, right? Well, that and that's also a song. Uh, You're getting to be a habit with me. Was a song yep. by Bing Crosby in 1933. Oh. It was a number one hit for him. So that's a 1930s joke because it's Captain yep. America. <laughs> so that's when Barnes uh, learns he is Charlie America. He says, "Wait till rotten the boy blunder." Here's about this. Uh, oh yeah, nice. I like that. Another reference mm-hmm. to the previous issue. Yeah. Yeah, and then we meet Zemo, and Zemo being tied to the the death of Bucky was actually something that had just kind of happened in the comics in the yeah. early, in the early '60s, and they kind of bring these characters uh, up to speed here. They the Bucky blows up, Cap goes in the water, and the people, the two people that find Cap in the water, instead of just being Namor, now it's Namor and Aquaman. <laughs> right. And I like this. It says, however, like any comic book superhero plunged into ice cold waters, I didn't drown. I just mm-hmm. froze solid till the world was ready for me once more. Asterix, yep. i.e. till comic sales picked up. Sly old Stan. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. that's a reference because they tried to revive Captain America in the 50s and it didn't work. No one cared. And so oh. the, the comic got canceled quickly. And so, yeah. And that, so when the origin was brought back in, when Captain America was brought back in the 60s, the whole night. 1950s continuity was sort of um, forgotten about. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was pretty funny. That was yeah, that was great. Yep. being completely honest there. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and a giant man. There's a great picture, of giant man in the last panel there. Yeah, how's he fit in the sub? With the Revengers reassemble with Iron Man, Soar, and the Wonderful Wisp. Yep. And he's called Giant Sam. <laughs> Um, and then on the last page, page 79, I like these editorial boxes that are in the second panel here. Oh, yeah. Um, Captain America says, I sent him to that big bubblegum factory in the sky when I was in Latin America. And then the editorial box says, it happened in Revengers number 15. Or was it Echmen number 27? Smile and Stan. Then another asterisk. Don't ask me. I thought it happened in Superham number 4891. <laughs> Rascally Roy. <laughs> That's great. I love that. And we see the, the conclusion of the story of, of the flashback and we're back in the diner. And boy, they have a lot of soda cups yeah. at their feet. <laughs> That's right. A mountain of them. Yeah, they've been doing that a lot. Um, and then Zero... Zero is actually disguised as Noxurious. He's coming out of the disguise. So he's he's been uh, impersonating him all these years. Yeah, and then it turns out that Captain America is actually Bucky Barnes. Bunky Barnes. <laughs> right. <laughs> he said the whole Frozen Ice, Frozen and Ice story was false. Um, yeah, I like it. There's, it's a classic kind of um, unmasking where the, the multiple people unmask. It's like, no, I'm I'm so-and-so, and I'm so-and-so. Pretty funny. Yeah. Zero says, uh, being the head of Sheesh isn't so bad. He gets a fancy car, lots of five-cent cigars, and tickets to the latest John Bond, James Bond movies. <laughs> the only hang-up is remembering to use bad grammar. <laughs> <laughs> right? That's good. Yep. And Bucky says, it's nice not having the square Charlie America around. He gets to go to Revengers meetings, fight crooks, and stay up late to watch Johnny Carson. 
Right, who was the host of The Tonight Show. Yeah, it says next week he might even cross the street by himself. <laughs> and best of all, he got his MMMS badge for half price. <laughs> That's right. Which is funny because I think they were free. They gave those up. They uh, gave up really? membership for free. So to get it for half uh-huh. price is funny. <laughs> Oh boy, a lot of stuff in there. Yeah, yeah. That was funny. And then there's even one more page, uh, which is the the next time, what, what's going to happen in the next issue. We see Magneto, Magneto, <laughs> an Electro. And so there's going to be a Submariner uh, story. There's going to be a Daredevil story with Electro and an X-Men right. story. Fun. Okay, moving on to issue number four, not Brad Eck, number four. Uh, this one has, a, has three stories, all featuring, uh, you know, some notable bad guys that take kind of take the center stage. And, the, yeah, the, the cover of this one is really great. It says the bad guys win. Um, it's by Marie Severin, and it's just a lot of fun. Uh, first appearance of the X-Men, I think. Um, we haven't seen them show up in this magazine yet. Right. And... Uh... It looks like these are a lot of the uh, Marvel B or C list heroes at the time. They weren't the most popular. I, I assuming they didn't want to see their A list characters like Charlie America or Spidey Man getting uh, beat up by the villains. Yeah, you're right. These are all characters that kind of had their like, they they just recently got magazines. This one comes out in this issue came out in 1967, mid 1967. And I think Daredevil and uh, X-Men had just launched. Uh, in fact, X-Men, the reason X-Men existed is because they kind of threw together a concept because Daredevil was late, so they had to get something to fill that, fill that gap. Um, and then Namor had recently graduated to his own book at the time as well. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool cover. Uh, and then we move on uh, past the title page here. Um, which are always great. I love that these books have title pages. It's uh, yeah. such a good, just a, an interesting thing. And then we move on to yeah. the first story, which is Scare Devil, the man who's scared of fear, defeated by the evil Electrico. And this story is written by Stan Lee with pencils by Gene Cullen. And I've always uh, loved Gene Cullen's work in uh, Daredevil and uh, Tomb of Dracula. And he does a really fantastic job here uh, doing a comedic style. Yeah, he really does. It's so great great to see artists always branching out like this. And you can tell that it's Gene's style because he it, it's just unmistakable his the level of detail he puts into his compositions and the staging, um, the poses and such. It all looks really good. Right. I love the staging. Yeah, he, he packs every panel with a lot of action. So this first splash page doesn't have a whole lot to do with, uh, you know, the pop culture references. Uh, in fact, none of these, this whole story doesn't really, he, Gene didn't put a whole lot into the background like Marie Severin or, or Tom Sutton does. Uh, they, there's very few pop culture references. It, it, is, it relies more on the, the gags, the physical gags, physical comedy of the main characters. That's right. Uh, and we're, we are met with these three main characters and introduced to the love trio of the of the law office with uh, Splat Murdoch, Hoggy Nelson, and Karen Rage. Um, and I think the only real joke, like kind of pop culture behind the scenes joke here in this first splash page is that Ant-Man is trapped in the filing cabinets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's holding a help sign, his hand sticking out of the drawer. And they do um, refer to that 
later in the story. That's right. Yeah, it becomes a little running gag through the next couple of pages. Uh, so in page two here, this uh, we see Matt Murdock. He's deciding that the only way to get uh, Karen is to give up his secret identity. It's, it's holding him back. And this is a story that's played out in issue two of Daredevil, where he fights Electro. They, they kind of use Electro um, as a to put a to put a known villain who was, he was pretty popular at the time because of Spider-Man. Put a known villain in an early issue of Daredevil to kind of boost the sales there. Um, and there's a what if issue that I recently talked about on the podcast or on a live stream uh, called "What If Daredevil? What If the World Knew Daredevil Was Blind." And in that one, Electro is the main villain, and it kind of plays on the same the same thing. Those those three issues, Daredevil two, uh, that issue of What If, and this issue of Not Brent Eck, all all deal with Matt's secret identity and how Electro fits into all of that. Uh, however, in this one, it's Matt who wants to get rid of the secret identity, so he calls up Electro and saying, "I've got I got something for you." Um, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But yeah, let's talk about the second page here. What are some of the things you want to point out here? Yeah, most of the action is uh, Hoggy uh, chasing after Karen, their secretary. And um, uh, Splat decides he wants to give up the superhero identity so he can uh, compete with Hoggy. So he uh, opens up a door, a closet door, sign on it says, The Marauder Lives. He's editing that man. So I suppose that refers to um, the master marauder, uh, Daredevil villain. Yeah, who was actually very, very popular, or, or prominent, rather. I don't even know if he was popular, but he came back many times throughout the first 30 or so issues of Daredevil. Had uh, some uh, overarching stories that, that played out and, and resulted in the Marauder's death. And so at this time, yes, this character is presumed dead, but eventually he'd come back like all comic book characters do. <laughs> and um, Matt Murdock is wearing an MMMS. Yep. <laughs> Wonderful. I love how much they just throw in the Marvel, the Merry Marvel Marching Society. They do. Kind of wherever they can, yeah. <laughs> and out of the closet pours hundreds and hundreds of uh, differently styled sunglasses. The one he's wearing looks kind of like uh, his alter ego uh, Mike Murdock would wear when he was trying to prove that uh, he was not Daredevil. Right. And I wonder if that's, that could be a reference to that story. Um, I think these glasses kind of look like Plastic Man, the ones that Plastic Man wore. They do. They must have been pretty stylish in the 60s. <laughs> Maybe. Um, yeah, and then final gag on this panel, I think, is the, the bottom of of, uh, of Splat Murdoch's shoe says soul music. So nice little play mm -hmm. on words there. <laughs> okay, we can move on to page number three here. Uh, Matt Murdoch's looking up Electrico's phone number in the in the yellow pages listed under <laughs> Villains. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, another Ant-Man filing cabinet gag. Never mind, it's too late. I think he might must have died. Not exactly sure <laughs> yes. what is going on inside the filing cabinet. Exactly, they leave that to your imagination. Yep. But yeah, not a whole lot of pop culture references, except for there's a Perry Mason reference in the last panel. Right. And I like the, uh, the joke where um, Splat thinks, little does Electrico dream that Scare Devil is really Splat Murdoch. Mild-mannered partner, partner of Foggy Nelson, who's really Irving Clawbush, mild-mannered rival of Barry Mason. Gets confusing. Yeah. <laughs> Goes around in circles there. Yeah. Um, and I love the the, the sneeze. Karen Rage's huge sneeze, because Gene Colan used all of these motion lines. It's not anything you'd ever see in a regular Marvel comic. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. It's beautifully drawn. Yep. Uh, okay, moving over to page four of, of this story here. Here's this is where I really felt like Gene Colan was Gene Colan because Matt Murdock 
just that pose of him kind of bending over to get the the costume out and uh, the style of the the way the the clothes fold and the the dark shadows on the pants and stuff it's like this is totally jean that's his style yeah lots of flowy lines and dark shadows yeah yeah uh, so he's the perfect choice to draw a Daredevil story, even if it's a comedic Daredevil story. Yeah. Um, he says here he'll change into Scaredevil, the idol of millions, and there's a little asterisk that's Sam Millions who delivers the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> I love I like that too. That. Yep. Uh, apparently, Hoggy and Karen were blown into the next room by uh, her sneeze. Yeah. Out of their shoes. And Daredevil's costume is really cool, too. He's got these high-top sneakers, which make him look like he have, has big feet, so he's not as graceful. Um, Gene Cullen is always drawing big feet. Yeah. <laughs> Long feet. Yeah. And it, he really accentuates that here and with Electro, Electrico, rather. Um, oh, yeah. Matt Murdock's little chest emblem is a little, dare, it's a little devil face, a little funny devil face. And I like the, the ears horns. that they give him, like the, the horns, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. more like um, little ant antennae yeah. or something. Kind of like the tick. Yes, yeah. yeah. A little bit more like the tick, although this is way before the tick's time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I can just imagine Ben Adlund probably read a lot of this. And that oh, yeah? Is, probably, because um, he would have, I'm sure, yeah, he would have been reading comics at this time and then undoubtedly inspired him to, to create his own satire, the tick in the 80s. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, let's see and here. Say if you like the old uh, Warner Brothers uh, trick of uh, they have like a dozen signs pointing to a secret hiding place for his costume. Yeah, yep. <laughs> this way to secret compartment. Secret <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like that. Um, over to page five. Uh, Electrico is charging himself up using AC and DC currents. And then DC has mm-hmm. a little asterisk. Don't sue us, Mort Weenie Burger. We mean direct current. <laughs> That's right. Yep. And I think in the first episode, we talked about Mort Weenieberger yeah. because he was the, uh, that's a, a little jab at the editor of Superman comics at the time, F4DC. Right. Uh, and then Electrico, ha- he gets uh, the, the, the words on the back of his outfit change. So General Electricity is, of course, a reference to the company General Electric. Right. And he's uh, stretching, working out. And well, first, it's kind of hard to tell where he is. It's like some kind of power station. But he's stretching uh, using, like, uh, boxing ring ropes. Yeah. I guess that's a reference to Matt Murdock and his father being a boxer, right? I would imagine so, yeah. Uh, in the last panel, uh, Daredevil says that he, he he's not trying to trick Electro. He says, honest, pinky square. I'm like, pinky square? <laughs> I, I know of pinky swear, but what is pinky square? Yeah, I don't know where that comes from. Well, I, I looked that up, and apparently it's it's like the next step of a pinky swear. It's like if if you're even more serious, you uh-huh. you you lock your pinkies in the pinky swear, but then you have to like twist the pinkies into a square shape or something to make it more official or, or something. Good. I don't know what the consequences are. I'm doing a pinky square. See, this shows educational. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I like uh, when uh, Daredevil swings in. He says, "Hi, voltage." That's a pun, son. Oh, yeah, there's so many great puns. Because yeah, in the last one. Um, he said in the last page, he says, I got a real surprise for you. It'll be a real shock, electrical yeah. shock. Don't you get it? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Those are my favorite. Yeah. And then on his, uh, on Scare Devil's uh, glove, it says wrist watcher and it has little eyes. That's pretty bad too. Yeah, totally. It's great. Uh, moving over to page number six, electrical and Scare Devil face off. 
Um, there's not a whole lot of references in this page at all. In fact, I only really know, I only noticed the one Slayboy magazine joke. Uh-huh. Right. But other than that, the, the dialogue well, it, is funny. Again, it looks like, yeah, it looks like they're in a power station again. Yep. But the floor is covered in water for some reason. Right. Which is just about the danger of electricity and water. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> just to make it kind of ridiculous. And he's in his bare feet as well, which yeah. grounds him. Uh, so yeah, that's, it's funny. Um, do you have anything more for this page? No, no, it's just them, uh, well, <laughs> uh, Electrico blasting Scaredevil, and Scaredevil uh, wants to tell him <laughs> his secret identity. Yeah, it's really funny just how much uh, Electrico is going out of his way now to not find out his secret identity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and over on page seven, um, the biggest joke here is... Uh, there's two big jokes. One is the, uh, tied to Electrico's thumb on one panel is a little tag that says UL approved. Right. UL is the underwriters of laboratories. They just mm-hmm. went in to make sure machinery was all kind of up to code and, you know, that kind of thing. So mm-hmm. we know that Electro is up to code. Yep. And he, he has to stop to recharge himself. It looks like he does it by sticking his finger in a wall outlet. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and then in the in the one of the bottom panels, the slogan on the back of his shirt says "Live better electrically." Mm-hmm. That was a huge slogan after World War II by General Electric. They made this huge campaign, getting people to buy more home electronics products, and uh, and to make sure that every house is outfitted with up to date electricity. And that's kind of like, it was a very, very successful campaign. Everybody really embraced um, automated appliances. And that's kind of how we live our lives very dependently today. (laughs) Very true. That's right. Yep. Uh, Daredevil also says this word. He says, will you take off my Furschlinger mask? Yes. That is a a Yiddish term that was popularized by Mad Magazine in the 50s. So it fits perfectly in here. And it really doesn't have any real meaning at all. Um, and really? Mad says that it is a word that can be described to use what you can't describe. <laughs> okay. I remember hearing that a lot in Mad. Yeah. <laughs> so it comes up a couple times in this issue, actually. Yeah. Okay, moving forward to the last page here. Uh, Daredevil's falling from the sky, and he's not worried because he says he won't reach the ground until the next panel. <laughs> <laughs> A little Seth-knowing humor. Yep. Uh, and there's one panel that's blank, and I love that too, just a little meta joke. Oh, Sorry, I forgot word, what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, a little word word balloon that's blank. Yeah, clever. So he just flexes his muscles to remove the te- uh, his own cable that he's wrapped in. Yeah. yeah. And then in the second panel, there's these two people here, and I couldn't figure out if this was these were caricatures or anything because they look yeah. fairly specific. I don't know. They have a little bit of Bob Dylan humor there. Yeah, so I, I'm not sure exactly what that that's supposed to refer to. Yeah, Scaredevil says, I still got to find someone to unmask me. He's, and he sees this couple as he uh, grabs hold of his um, cable and stops himself from falling. He says, here's a nice lady. He says, nice lady, I'd like to get married. Would you help me? And she says, but I already have a husband. And the husband says, don't worry, we'll work it out. <laughs> <laughs> and that... then Scaredevil says, no, no, you don't get me. She says, Indian giver. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's uh, that little "Don't worry, we'll work it out" is a reference to just the uh, kind of the free love movement of the '60s. Oh, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So he ends up unmasking himself. Ten years later. Ten years later, he's lost all his hair. 
And back then, nobody liked a bald man. Yep. <laughs> and I love it. And they give a little moral at the end of the story. It doesn't always pay to ask what lies hidden beneath the mask. That's right. And not Aesop's fables. It's Aesop Forbush. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course. Yep. So that's good. That was an okay story. Um, the, the thing that yeah. really sells it is the Gene Colan art. But uh, as True. far as it, it being uh, as silly as the other ones, it's not nearly as silly, I don't think. That's right. Onto the second page, or the second story, Prince No More, the Sunk Mariner, KO'd by Crank. Yep, by Gary Friedrich and Mary Severn. The the credits are very unusual in this splash page here because it shows, I guess, the people, uh, little yeah. caricatures of the of the of the creative team in a little submarine or something, some sort of diving bell. Yeah, and they're talking. They're talking to each other about the credits. <laughs> that is unusual. It's very unusual. Uh, so in this story, this story sort of is uh, a play on some of the early Submariner issues where Warlord Krang takes over uh, Atlantis and boots Namor out. And Namor has to kind of go on a quest to uh, get the power of Neptune to reclaim him. Like he needs that special trident or something. So this story doesn't go in that direction, of course. <laughs> Apparently um, he's beat him at a game of Monopoly. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he wins the kingdom. Yep. It's it's good. It's good. Uh, and and yeah, so the, in the splash page, um, he's Namor's wearing an Atlantic City shirt, and uh, on the throne of Crank, there's there's a few little cartoon characters. One of them looks like Albert the Alligator from Pogo. Yes, that's right. I don't know what the other one is supposed to be. It's got a sailor know. hat, so it could be something like Donald Duck, but it really doesn't look like Donald Duck. Right. Um, not a whole and lot to um, say on this so issue here. Crank is called Crank. Crank. And yeah. his uh, wizard, Lord Vashat. Uh, Vashti is Lord Nasty. I like that. That's right. And he's using the typical 60s lingo, suck it to him, cranky baby. This is only the beginning. <laughs> the swing advice you'll get from me. Oh, man. And so, yeah, the I love the running gag of this guy, Lord Nasty, because uh, all of his advice is how to benefit senior citizens. That's right. <laughs> Throughout, like, great. every single panel of this story. Exactly. Yep. And what about Lady Dorma? What's her What's her oh, Marvel yeah. name? Um, what do they call her? Um, I don't know if they even say it. Lady Darnit. I like that one too. Which one? Darnit. Darnit. Lady oh, yeah. Darnit. <laughs> and she's uh, badgering whoever is on the throne to get the chores done. Yeah. And now on this uh, first page, she's wearing um, swim fins. Snor- um, oh yeah, flippers. <laughs> Little. F- yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Okay, moving on to page number two. Uh, we got a bunch of good jokes in the first in the first panel here. Yeah. There's a there's a seal that's doing some housework. This is the good housekeeping <laughs> seal. Um, I don't even know if good housekeeping is a magazine still these days. Uh, it might be. It might be. Yeah. Uh, but back in the day, um, a bunch of products or like um, yeah, a bunch of products would have the good housekeeping seal of approval to know that you know this is quality stuff. Right. Yeah. The magazine established their own research institute to verify the quality of products. Yep. And uh, Namor says he's kind of glad not to be king anymore. He doesn't have to speak Shakespearean dialogue anymore. <laughs> right. As all rulers have to in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> I guess so. There's a little crab that says Inferious Rex. A little mm-hmm. play on uh, on Namor's catchphrase, Imperious Rex. And then there's a uh, panel below that. And in fact, there's a little sign that, in point, that points to something called Imperious Rex. W-R-E-C-K-S. A junkyard. Yep, the junkyard. <laughs> Sam Imperius, proprietor. <laughs> it works really well. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, No More says he has the opportunity to move from being a prince to the king of the road. 
referring to the Roger Miller song, King of the Road. Yeah, and that song is about a hobo, like a poor mm-hmm. homeless guy that, that, talks, that calls himself a king. So Namor, right. Namor is um, embracing the, the, <laughs> the hobo lifestyle. And um, there's a shell, a seashell, that says deposit another 10 cents for the next three minutes. I guess some people might remember payphones. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you listen into a seashell to hear the sound of the ocean, but it costs money, apparently. <laughs> uh, one of the things that Nasty talks about is uh, new programs for Medicare, which mm. would have been brand new at the time, I think, in the 60s. Right, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, and he swims into a bathysphere. Says, if I didn't know better, they were bringing back 20,000 leagues under the sea for the 100th time. For the 400th time. 400th time, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that movie was pretty popular, the Disney movie yeah. you know, from 1963. It only came out a few years back, but it had a good long um, engagement in theaters. And it was re-released in, um, no, sorry, the movie's from 1954. And it That's was right. re-released in 1963, a few years before oh. this. So it wasn't re-released hundreds of times, but it was pretty popular. Popular enough that people always wanted it back. It was re-released again in 71, but that was after oh, wow. this issue came, came out. Okay. Uh, moving on to page number three. The first panel is a, um, a gag surrounding the old TV show called Sea Hunt, mm-hmm. which was on in the early 60s. Uh, and it starred, uh, what's this guy's name? Uh, Flo- Floyd Bridges. F- Floyd Bridges, that's right. Yeah, and here he's Floyd Bridges. Yep, you get a caricature of him there. Yeah. He says, five years, and I, five years I've been off the air, and I still can't shake the autograph <laughs> hounds. So no, no more uh, alerts the uh, Atlunteans. We're being invaded by Hollywood. That means Liz and Dick, referring to Elizabeth Taylor and Richard Burton, says they can't be far behind. Yeah, they were kind of at the height of their popularity. Cause they had, I think they had just gotten married shortly before oh. this, after having a steamy affair. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, and then later on, they he refers to, uh, or I guess it's Floyd Britches, says, all my movie star buddies had something when they said, Italy is what's happening. Sophia and Gina, here I come. Yeah. Sophia, Sophia Loren. Of course. Gina Lola Brigida. Yep, yep, those are t- the very two famous Italian actresses at the time. Mm-hmm. And Lord Nasty is still asking for more benefits for seniors, and Lady Darnett says, oh, she, I guess this was <laughs> another uh, example where her dialogue's written after the art is done. She says, uh, tell the artist I want more room to talk. <laughs> yeah. Into a corner. Yeah, and, the, and the, the font is really kind of skinny, tall yeah. and skinny. <laughs> That's right. Yep, I like that. She also uh, wants Crank to convince Hugh Hefner to let her be a play amphibian of the month. Right. Yep. And I think that's all I have here. There's a little reference to Edgar Allan Schmo. That's a good one, too. <laughs> so no more sense is giant red lobster cuddles to attack Crank. That's not really a lobster. I know. It looks like a crab, it's doesn't it? It totally looks like a crab. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, he moves on to yeah. If you go to the next page, page four, you can, it's totally just a crab. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I guess uh, Friedrich loved that, or who who wrote it? Yep, Friedrich. Yeah. Uh, the crab is a, just a walking advertisement for Imperius Hex the Sorcerer, now playing at the Bijou, who's the new movie <laughs> that's come out. And in that yeah. same panel with that crab. Um, there is a uh, the starfish down below doing yeah. a little dance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what that is, but it's totally something out of like a Bob Clampett Looney Tunes cartoon. I guess so. 
There's that's that, right. the famous one, um, Porky and Wacky Land. And there's a rubber band, uh, oh, which yeah. is a bunch of rubber bands in a band. And they're just walking along with instruments in a marching band style, kind of like this. Yes, yeah, definitely something like that. <laughs> yeah. So Cuddles, instead of crushing Krang, he cuddles Krang and no more gets us. He says, one more show of disloyalty like that. And I won't recommend you Stan Lee as a replacement for the ball. <laughs> yeah. And in that same panel, this says this Garitol will make your liver quiver. And I was like, well, Garitol is like medicine, but I didn't mm-hmm. know. I tried looking up liver quiver to see if that's actually like a catchphrase of, uh, of the medicine. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't find anything. Really? Interesting. Um, and in the next panel, Crank says, ambition has led me to this. Should have taken a few clues from Mark Antony. Yeah. Definitely a, um, a reference to the Cleopatra movie, which was out oh. just before this. Very popular at the time. And oh. they kind of draw uh, Lady Dorma like Elizabeth Taylor. Oh, I guess so. That's right. And Crank is wearing a cast. It says, get well soon, Dr. Seuss. Yeah. S-O-O-S. Yeah. Okay. And then the royal page arrives. He's Al Blurt. Um, it's referring to Al Hurd, a trumpet player and band leader who recorded the theme for the Green Hornet TV show. Yes. So, and I love this joke because it makes him look kind of lazy, lackadaisical, like he's not a great yeah. trumpeter. But if you think of the theme to Green Hornet, <laughs> it's like that's anything but. <laughs> Al Hurd right. was a fantastic trumpeter. Oh, yeah. And he's announcing the arrival of Aqualung Man. Yes. I love this because Krang, uh, Crank says, at last, this can only mean our foreign aid has arrived. The foreign <laughs> aid coming from a rival comic book company, of course. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. And he's wearing a, a air tank and a scuba diving, ma- diving mask and tap shoes. And tap shoes, yeah. I don't <laughs> understand that. Well, that's good. The, uh, the Aqualung uh, was actually the first scuba apparatus um, you know, they help you breathe underwater. It was invented by Jacques Cousteau. Nice. Yeah, didn't know that. And on page five here, um, on page five, we have a reference to Aqua. Aqualung, um, uh, he references a bunch of different DC characters, including Super Ham and the <laughs> uh, Just a League of Americans. Mm-hmm. I like that. Just a League. <laughs> Just a League. Just a League. Yeah, he's telling uh, Krang he's tired of sharing the ocean. And on uh, Krang's uh, throne, there's a Bapst tap. Yep. Throwing to Bapst Blue Ribbon. And throughout the, this page here, Krang finds out what it really means to be the leader uh-huh. of a nation. Because everybody comes to him for their problems. My children have uh-huh. no playground. There's no place to go fishing. Down with water pollution. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he wants it to get out of there. And he tries right, to he get... Gives him, yep. gives him until high noon to leave. I guess that's referring to the Western movie. Probably. Yeah. No more calls him a brand eck bugaboo <laughs> as he unleash, unleashes a man-eating pearl on him. That's right. That's kind of weird. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that's a reference to anything specific, but it's funny. Yeah. An man shouts, they told me there were a bunch of madmen in the marble bull, bull bin. Bull bin. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting back to where they do things in a dull but civilized way. Dull but civilized, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I love it. Pretty cool. And no More says, No More saved you again, but he won't do it no more. And in the bottom tier here, there's a there's a comic book that says Strange Sales Comics. Mm. Uh, and we, if we flip over to the next page. Yeah. Um, so he's gotten fed up with all the responsibilities of being in charge. And uh, Dorma makes a Twiggy reference. Mm-hmm. I think we had a Twiggy reference in the last issue, right? There was. That's yeah. right. 
uh, and a Charlie Tuna reference as well. That's Char- right. Charlie Tuna was a popular radio personality in Los Angeles at the time. Yeah. And it also is a reference to Atuma, I think, as well, who was a, an Atlantean yes. warlord. That's right. So he picks up, Namor picks up all of his stuff. He takes a bunch of his souvenirs. The souvenirs are packed with little items that are, are uh, written, have things written on them. Instead of fish bait, it's man bait. And, right. Um, instead One's of a, a ship in a bottle, it's a house in a bottle. <laughs> I think one uh, is very clever. It says, how to gain 90 pounds of muscle. By changing artists? Yes. <laughs> uh, I guess when uh, Bill Everett first drew him, he was quite thin. And then uh, who drew him after that? John Buscema? Uh, yeah, Buscema and Gene Colan then took over yeah. after that. Drew him quite muscular. Yep, that's really funny. Yeah. And then the unabridged Moby Dictionary, <laughs> for those of you who are underwater. Right. So he packs up the, yeah, rides on a beach, lounges there for a few days. Before he realizes he needs some money. And on the beach there is um, Queen Elizabeth, I'm pretty sure. Um, although, no, it's probably not Queen Elizabeth because she wouldn't have been that old at the time. That old, yeah. But Queen Elizabeth was a swimmer before she became a monarch. Is that right? I didn't know that. Yeah, so I was wondering if that's a reference here, but not, the age isn't right. So maybe it's Queen's mum or something. I don't know. Could be. Interesting. So he um, decides to go to a casting agent with a book of his comic book clippings. Yes, dating back all the way yeah. to 1938, Marvel Comics number one. Yeah, that's right. And the casting agent tells him to get rid of the pointy ears. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and this, I love the where this gag is going. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the next page, on the last page here, page seven, uh, we get a Flipper joke because Flipper was a very popular TV show at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, another reference to Jackie Gleason's uh, oh, yeah. his his comedy his comedy club in Miami. Oh, that's right. And the Miami Dolphins, of course. Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> there's a bunch of different jokes in the one panel. <laughs> uh, and then Esther Williams, also there's a reference to Esther Williams, who was a, um, a swimmer and a movie star at the same time. She did a lot of undersea, underwater pictures. Um, there's a famous scene where she swims with Jerry the Mouse, the cartoon mouse from the Tom and Jerry cartoons. Oh, yeah. I've forgotten about that. And and then a reference from the Honeymooners. So there's a lot of references to TV shows that were popular at the time. Uh, of course, the most popular one is coming up here. In the That's next right. panel, we get the reference to Star Trek, the, yeah. new, the new TV show, Star Trek. And who should come out of the CBN instead of NBC, the CBN mm-hmm. uh, offices. But in the shadows, it's Leonard Nimoy. Mm-hmm. And Namor clobbers him and takes his place. <laughs> <laughs> I, love I love it it's such an obvious joke because everybody knows that they have the yeah. similar ears and the similar eyebrows but That's they're actually like they're, just calling it as it yeah. is here well i like the sign in the alleyway as he's getting ready to clobber leonard nimoy's it says every time you read these signs you hurt your eyes yeah as the eye chart yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and um the leonard nimoy comes out of the office saying he's going to use his ray gun to get rid of the pesky blasted peacock <laughs> and the yeah. peacock's the mascot for nbc right uh, and so, yeah, we the uh, let's see. Yeah, the last panel is a little confusing. So they're filming the final show of Star Trek, and they say that for this episode, they're going to explore an underwater kingdom, and no more jumps out of the Enterprise. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is kind of confusing. Yeah, because it's so, so small. But I guess they're really filming space. I guess I, don't know. <laughs> I think they didn't really have a good ending for their story, a good yeah. gag to land on, so they kind of just threw that in sure. there. <laughs> So that one is uh, that one's funnier, I think, than the first issue or the first yeah. story. But nothing compares to the last story in this, <laughs> which is the best one, starring the X Men. <laughs> That's right. 
the most non the most non usual fighting team of all time. The story is called "If Magneto Could Clobber Us." So it starts out with them. Oh, okay. And this one's by um, Roy Thomas and Tom Sutton. Tom Sutton's always great at this. He is he, um, holdover from the the old DC or the old EC comics. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Thomas Sutton did the Charlie America story in the last issue, right? Yeah, yeah. that's right. It seems like we're getting a lot of the same. The same teams here. Yeah, uh, we're getting yes. the, the Roy Thomas, Tom Sutton. They seem to get one story in each issue. Uh, Gary Friedrich and Murray Severin get one story in each issue, mm-hmm. and then the lead story is like alternates between Jack Kirby and Gene Colan mm-hmm. or Don Heck. Don Heck did the second issue. Oh right, yeah, they seem to have a regular team. But these guys make a good pair, and this first splash page is a parody of the cover for X-Men number one, uh, and yep. we are met with all of the, the main characters of our story here. We have Angel Face and right. Icy Man. Oh, holding a harp, yeah, because he's an angel. Uh, Icy Man holding an ice cream bar. Yeah. I liked on the uh, cover of this issue, they uh, show Icy Man with a bunch of uh, frozen food inside of him. Inside body. of him, yeah. I guess that's where they store their frozen food. And Cyclops actually has one eye. Yes. And I don't know why he's wearing that hat. Yeah, I don't get that. It's got to be a reference to something. I'm not sure. Um, and who else is here? Uh, Beastly. Yep. And I like this portrayal of Beastly because he's both smart and stupid at the same time. <laughs> well, that's true, yeah. And then Marble Girl. Yeah, she says, uh, well, she, uh, they're kicking Magneto out of the uh, X-Mansion. And she says she's lifting him telephonetically, telegraphically. She can't figure out. She can't remember what her power is called. Yeah. Right. And there's like a dashed force field around him, like they often showed it. And there's a little uh, caption along the uh, line says, cut along the dotted line. Totally. Which I hope nobody did. Yeah. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Ruin your comic. Right. And Professor X has a fishbowl over his head. Yes. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. <laughs> yeah, and he's holding copies of Unscientific American and Mechanics Infiltrated. Yeah, he's holding a different book in every single panel that he appears in. It has That's a right. different title, so yeah, you got to watch out for those. So Magneto uh, gets defeated, and he's riding the subway back home. And the subway's full of uh, mostly villains. I see um, Black Knight, Porcupine, Mandarin, uh, Plantman, and Half-Face. Really obscure one. And I think in the back is that um, Lucifer. Oh, the guy who uh, who crushed Professor X's legs. Oh, wow. Okay. I think there's a couple of people who have a mask kind of like that, and that, I think that's who that is. And I don't know who the robot is that's reading the bad magazine beside him there. Yeah. And I, and I like that the porcupine, porcupine has a fish. He's holding a fish, and it's wrapped in newspaper. Right. But the newspaper is Brand Eck, <laughs> an of issue of Brand Eck. <laughs> that's all it's good for, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I just love the self-depreciating humor there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Magneto decides to infiltrate the X-Men headquarters by dressing up in a youthful outfit, which is a little <laughs> sailor's outfit, which is like something you would have seen in the 1900s, early 1900s or 18, late 1800s. That's right. But not in touch with today's youth. <laughs> but he tries yeah. using the typical teen dialogue, dig, fab, gear, and yep. here's your word, glitzy. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the costume box says, Jim Dandy disguise. Yeah. And, uh, that term was first used way back in 1844, so it was old even in the late 60s. <laughs> right. Yeah, and he has the same, like, the, the hat. It's like the, the Buster Brown kind of hat. That's right. And uh, he's even holding his book uh, in the second panel here. He's got his book on a, on a belt. Yep. 
And his drawing little, board. Yeah, personal drawing board. Any idea who this little yellow furry character is in the bottom left corner? No idea. But he yeah. pops up. He <laughs> pops up in like every page. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know who it is. Yeah. So Magneto is talking with a lisp. To make him sound asked, like a young guy. Yeah. And he asked to join Xavier's school for gifted guys and gals. <laughs> yep. And Beast's dialogue through this whole issue is all alliteration. That's right. The bamboozled, befuddled Beastly believes he has beheld that bozo before, but where? <laughs> he calls himself, his real name is D. Real McCoy. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. And this panel, this big panel here, um, is very interesting because it's not laid yeah. out like a typical panel. The, it looks like four panels. It does. It really does look like four panels because of the way the sound effects kind of... Uh, uh, divide things up and how Cyclops kind of divides a panel, but it's really one big long panel of the dangerous room <laughs> and Angel the, and what's really confusing is Angel is on the left like the top left, but his mm -hmm. action starts on the bottom right. That's right So it's, he actually has a little birdhouse. Yeah <laughs> It's weird to see that there. Yeah But in this one uh, Iceman his house is his, his room is a refrigerator <laughs> and he's Quite trying up. to read a cool McCool comic and Kuma Cool mm. didn't have comics, but he was a cartoon character in 1966, created by Bob Kane. Mm -hmm. uh, and here we have Cyclops is wearing that hat again. So it must it yeah. must be a reference to something, but I don't know what it is. No idea. Um, and then we see Knock Furious peeking out of the floor. He says, I, oh, think, yeah. <laughs> I think this is the Yellow Paws headquarters, a reference to Yellow Claw, one of the early Marvel villains. Yeah, and Magneto is always drawn with magnets stuck to him. Yeah. All the time, I love it. There are uh, X's all over the uh, school grounds, on the rocks, lying on the ground. Yeah, the flowers are X's. Flowers shaped like X's, yeah. Yeah, there's X's all over, if, all over the backgrounds of everything. Yeah, and Angel Face uh, mentions his uncle, Hawkman. <laughs> right. <laughs> there was a time when uh, people thought that maybe Hawkman would be licensed to Marvel Comics, for use of um, Captain, the Captain, like, like, so that DC could continue to use the name Captain Marvel. Right. So I don't know if that was around this time or if that was trying to reference that or what. But mm. And there's another uh, kind of Jackie Gleason reference. Uh, Xavier's holding a book called Calories Don't Count. Right. By Jackie Gleason. By Jackie Gleason. Yeah. It was actually um, uh, a book published, written by Herman Toller. In 1961. Oh, okay. But uh, Jackie Gleason was a big man, so I guess that was a joke. Yeah. Okay, we move on to the next page, page three. Professor Xavier tells Magneto <laughs> to stay out of the room. Uh, oh, man, just so, so many jokes here. I love this dialogue here. I can't tell you what, what looked behind that door. It's too horrible <laughs> to explain. It's even worse than Brand Ech. Not <laughs> Brand Ech. <laughs> no, not not Brand Ech. I said Brand Ech. Oh. That's Yep, love That's it. Bob Zillian humor. Love it. Um, yeah, and I like this gag also in the middle panel where Cyclops is burning not brand X scripts with yep. his with his trash can with his optic blasts. Right. Gene beside him says, uh, "He's so cute. I haven't the heart to tell him that his myopic beam is really just a force ray." That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Because that and that's one of the. Uh, I, I talked about this in the uh, in the first X Men episode that I did. Um, there's this. It's clear that Jack Kirby thinks that the the beam is a heat beam. Oh. But Stan 
it makes it obvious in the dialogue that it's not. And so wow. there's times when the, the, the words don't match the pictures and you can see that Stan is like, he's looking at this artwork saying, Jack screwed up again. I have to write dialogue to make this make sense. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there's that is interesting. very interesting. So they're playing with that, that little controversy right there. Yeah. And the trash can has a note on it. that says S Lee janitor. Yep. And uh, the the wheel in the same panel, the wheel of of Professor X's wheelchair is says Edsel, in which we've talked <laughs> about Edsel before in this show. That's right. An angel face uh, is thinking, if I had the wings of an angel, and um, those are the lyrics from the Prisoner song, right. uh, which was released in 1924 by Vernon Dahlhart. It actually, it was sung by Liberace at the end of the Batman TV show. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So maybe that's where they got that from. Uh, and the beast in the first panel, or in the second panel here, he says, the bouncing beastly will boisterously bounce along behind Buana. Buana, yes, Buana right. Beast is a character yep. from the Golden Age or the Silver Age of uh, DC Comics. That's right. And, uh, and this, uh, on this page, uh, Beatley and Angel Face think they've seen the teenager before. They, they seem to recognize him, but they can't tell who it is. And Professor X is holding a book from Russia with love, mm -hmm. which is a book about a teacher. And it's interesting how this uh, bottom panel, uh, Cyclops is using the, uh, the middle uh, border to lift himself up over the spikes rising from That's the floor. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, clever. And he's using his optic blast, his myopic beam to, to melt Icy Man. Mm -hmm. Right. Again, not well, using well, it the way it should be. Right. Yeah, kind of a lot of just kind of zany, loony action going on here. Just there's, and this is typical in X Men comics. Every character has to be in every panel. Every pa every character mm -hmm. has to say something in every panel, and it just gets overcrowded right. and cluttered, and really bogs down the the flow of the X Men comics. But works really well in this setting. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, so on the next page, yep, Magneto opens a trap door, and all the X Men fall into the dungeon. <laughs> And I like the upside-down dialogue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some of them are upside-down in their dialogue. The word balloons are upside-down. That's clever. Yep. The word balloons are going to play a, a big role in this story. That's right. right. He makes a Red Skelton reference. Um, yeah. And uh, his uh, teenage character seems to be uh, Red Skelton's uh, mean little kid character who's spoken a lisp. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I've only ever seen one episode of Red Skelton. Oh yeah. Um, I, I watched. It wasn't actually that too long ago. They have Red Skeleton mm. show on Amazon Prime, so I was watching some of that. Yeah, used to watch that all the time. I loved Red Skeleton. Uh, and then in the middle panel here, he he his he has a hand gesture, and that makes his all his magnetic powers work, and all of this stuff comes crashing toward him. Um, everything, right. including the kitchen sink. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Iron Man's armor, Charlie America's shield, the Black Knight, and an airplane. And a bird that, uh, a cartoon bird that looks very familiar, but I can't place my finger on it. Hmm. Might there, be that uh, toucan from the Warner Brothers cartoons that hopped along to the music. Right, yeah. Could be that. Or there is, in Columbia, Columbia had a series of cartoons called The Fox and the Crow, and the crow kind of had this big bill that looked kind of like that. So I'm not sure okay. if that's what it is. Um, yeah, and so in the next panel here, a plane crashes on him in the safe that says, aren't you glad you used dial, which is a reference to mm -hmm. dial soap. Yeah, and it has a dial type, type lock. Yep. Uh, and then Mighty Thor's hammer is technically metal because it's made of sure. Uru metal. <laughs> right. 
so it gets attracted to him as well. I always think of his hammer as being stone, but that's oh, not. Oh, yeah. yeah, the way Jack Kirby drew it, it has yeah. cracks, yeah. Um, but yeah, they have a big party at the end of, the, of this page here. Yeah, so Magneto takes a peek in the dungeon, and they're listening to the monkeys. Yeah, and Marble Girl makes a reference to the Blues Magoos, who yeah. I've never heard of before. But I don't think I have either. They're pretty popular at the time in the 60s. They had a, a hit called We Ain't Got Nothing Yet in 1966. They were a New mm-hmm. York-based band, so I bet a lot of the bullpen had, were uh-huh. well aware of them. Makes sense. Uh, moving over to the next page, one of my favorite gags is in the second panel, uh, just a note on the floor. It says, there's a note on tape the floor. It says, Artie, who'd you bribe so you didn't have to do this? Sam. <laughs> <laughs> and those are the two letterers, Artie Simic and Sam mm-hmm. Rosen. Sam Rosen was the letter he, letterer here. And it's like, there are, there's so many words, so much stuff for him to letter in this comic. <laughs> it's like, right. Artie, how come I have to do this one? <laughs> I felt sorry for him. Yeah. And it just gets worse as this, as this story goes along. It does. So Magneto says there's no use in taking over the magazine if nobody cares. He was going to change the title to Magneto, the world's most attractive supervillain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we see things are just constantly attaching to Magneto through this page here. Um, mm-hmm. And I love the, 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 at the bottom, there's a great joke with the Doom Patrol. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And every, this is especially important at the time because everybody was thinking, I think we mentioned this in the last issue as well, the Doom Patrol is kind of a, uh, um, the forerunner for the X-Men. When the X-Men came out a few months after Doom Patrol did, everyone was kind of like, this is a knockoff of Doom Patrol. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, we see caricatures of all the main characters there, including Beast Boy, who's just a dog. They call him Beastly Boy. Right. And there's a sign on the mansion that says, Sauron is alive and well in Argentina. Yes, I guess I didn't look this one up, but I'm assuming that Sauron was a lo- um, presumed dead yeah. at the time in the X-Men comics. Right, I guess so. Okay, I'm almost finished here. We've got a couple more pages yeah. to go. Uh, in this last, uh, second to last page here on page six, uh, we get Beastly takes kind of center stage, and he starts saying um, he has this huge, huge word balloon with a really long alliterated sentence. Uh, or a couple sentences, and then eventually uses that word balloon as a weapon to knock Magneto down. And everyone's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's all use our word <laughs> balloons to knock him down. And so yep. the, lo- the word balloons just get crazy uh, in this. The lettering is just great because it's not only just straight on lettering. It's like on the side and upside down and um, all over the place. It's really, really good. That's right. I guess um, Sam Rosen had to uh, redo that lettering every time it's used. Yep. Yeah, I think he did. <laughs> Uh, and there's one reference uh, in the top panel of this page. Um, angel is singing, I've Got a Date with an Angel, which is an old song from the 1930s. Yeah. But yeah, I love this. I love the ending of this story. It's just such a meta uh, <laughs> you know, reference to comic book creation. Uh, if you right. turn the page then, and behind the secret door is all the word balloons from every other comic, uh, not Brand X story, that, that has come in the past. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. all there. I like that. Um, and I love the um, the generic balloons where it's like yeah, where you can fill in you can fill in with whatever, whatever it's this interchangeable dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> people kind of joke that Stan Lee's dialogue was a little bit like that as well. <laughs> right. I like they have Scorch on Bulk Stomp. I really like by the hoary host of Hogwash. Hogwash. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, and in, in this little this little yellow fuzzy yellow guy pops up at the end here with a sign that says Thomas unfair to letterers. <laughs> that's great yep uh yeah and in the end magneto 
takes up a job in an auto factory because he can control all of, all the car parts so they don't need to have um, a staff full of people. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, all oh, these guys are like, this Magneto is unfair to organize labor workers. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, this was a good. This was a good issue. Did you? Yeah. Which story did you like the best? Yeah, it would have to be this one because it had the best resolution. Definitely. Yeah, I, I think so too. In fact, out of the all of the issues that we've read so far, this one might be my favorite. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah I can see that. Yeah, it's just and really, really well done. First issue with a letters page, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, two little letters praising the magazine and one not. I love this one. It's like, it's, dear Stan, I hated not brand Eck very much. <laughs> It was a disaster. I didn't like seeing my heroes looking and acting so silly. I thought it was horrible. I can't see why you would write such a comic, but I do like all the other Marvels that I've faithfully collected. Please write something better than this one, which has made me very a very bewildered fan. Right. That's funny. <laughs> yeah, I love it. And this one has an ad for the Mary Marvel Marching Society. Yeah. And you get a pin, a recording of the official song, stickers, a notepad, um, many books, a pencil, a certificate, and a membership card for only 69 cents. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> I love the theme song. You can you, you can listen to it on YouTube, and it's just, it's great. It fits right in with all of the other 1960s uh, Marvel theme songs that oh, came yeah. out around the time. It's really good. Yeah. I wonder who did all those. Um, yeah, I'd have to look that up. I'm sure, I'm yeah. sure it says it's so it's online. The same person. Yeah. Well, and that concludes us for this episode. Got another two issues under our belt here. And yep. next time we get together, we'll talk about issues number five and six, which Sounds should good. be fun as well, because we get into a little bit more of the DC side of things, I think, in the next couple issues, if I'm correct. Um, but yeah, thanks. Thanks, Greg, for talking with us again. That was fun. Absolutely. It's always fun. Perfect. And yeah, we'll see everybody next time.